And Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord, and uh, but we know we need to love you more. And we depend on you, Lord, but we know we need to depend on you more. As the days get difficult, and as our culture more and more rejects your son and your truth, that um, many of the blessings, many of the material blessings you've given us are are dissipating right now. So I just pray, Lord, that you would get us so committed to you and that you would just strengthen us in our walks with you and our love not only for you, but our love for one another. And so show us, Lord, give us the, the same heart that Paul had for those he ministered to. Give us that same heart for one another. And Lord, may we appreciate Not just spending time in your presence, but spending time worshiping you and fellowshipping face-to-face with other believers because those days uh, might not last much longer here. And so I just pray that you be with us and that uh, you strengthen us. I pray, Lord, for everybody in the church who's suffering from from, uh, physical illnesses and physical challenges like my wife, Kathy, just... Just take care of us, Lord. Take care of your people. And today, as I preach your word, Lord, the people that are here, they didn't come here to hear fake news, to hear the lies of man, the faulty wisdom of man. They came to hear your truth. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel me, that um, you would have your perfect word proclaimed from this imperfect vessel that I would not lead anyone astray by misrepresenting or misinterpreting your word. Pray you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth. You'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word. And I pray that uh, you just empower us to apply these truths, to be pleasing in your sight. But Lord, just as you did in the praise and worship, so too do it in the preaching of the word. Give us just a sense of your presence, the sense of the presence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So we left off at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and there's several themes running throughout this. This is a personal letter, you know. Preachers always trying to find that one big idea, but in a personal letter, you know, sometimes you're just, touching on lots of different issues. And, um, and that's what Paul's doing in this letter. And remember that uh, they had started the Thessalonian church within weeks. The persecution from the Jewish religious leaders was so strong that they had to flee, I think it was 100 miles away, to Berea. And then the Jewish religious leaders from Thessalonia came down and started persecuting Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy there in Berea, and so Paul had to flee to Athens alone, okay? And um, and then later on, he sent Timothy to go and, and complete the establishing of the church of Thessalonica. And, um, and we see here that when Paul went alone to Athens, he sent Timothy to establish the church in Thessalonica, and Timothy brought back good news about the Thessalonians, but Paul was concerned about the Thessalonians, concerned 
that Satan might tempt them and, and lead them astray. You know, um, the love that we see Pastor John has for his co-worker, um, it's not like, okay, the guy came to Christ. Okay, now we're done with that. Okay? No, if somebody came to Christ, now you really got to get on your knees. You really got to pray for them. You really got to try to disciple them if you can. And Paul's frustrated. He's hundreds of miles away when he wishes he could be there with the Thessalonians and see them face to face. And he didn't know if Satan was causing them to fall away. But Timothy brought back uh, good news uh, about the Thessalonians. Now, and the thing is, too, is that, you know, Paul was stressed about the Thessalonians, no doubt about it. He wanted to spend more time there, okay? And we all have stresses. We came here this morning with stresses. I got stresses about, you know, my wife's health and my my back, and my back seems to be getting better right now, but, um, you know, the stresses of, uh, of work, it's just the stresses of life. We all have those stresses. Well, Paul was stressed out about the Thessalonians. And he liked being part of a team. When Jesus sent uh, his apostles out, he sent them out two by two. Yet here Paul is all alone in Athens. Okay? Now, what most of us, maybe even myself, might have done is to say, hey, I'm going to just take a vacation from being a Christian and I'll just sit back and I'll enjoy some of the good Greek food. I'll look at all the statues of the pagan Greeks and um, I'll say a few prayers for them. You know, and maybe for some of us, that might be all God wants us to do. You know, just like, well, look, you're alone. A lot of them, very, very few of you. Uh, I haven't given you a preaching ministry and a debating ministry. Just pray for them and all. But with Paul, he understood, no, God called him, you know, he said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. It was only way, one way that the enemies of the gospel could shut him up. And they did that when they separated his, his head from his body. They decapitated him eventually. And, um, but, uh, but he knew that there's, there's no vacations from being a Christ follower. If you follow Jesus, now I'm not saying you can't watch a football game or you can't, um, uh, you know, I'm not saying you can't watch a football game or you can't go away to a resort and relax a little bit, but Jesus still has to be number one, okay? And if there's opportunities to share your faith, you share your faith and speak the truth in love, Okay? The gospel itself is offensive to non-believers because it starts out, you're a sinner, you deserve to go to hell, okay? I mean, that's not, uh, you know, not the way to um, win friends and influence people, okay? And um, so it's offensive already. Don't add to that by talking down on people, okay? Speak the truth in love. Be gentle with them. And um, But when everything's said and done, if we can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, then what that means is when you're in Athens, which used to be the headquarters of Greek philosophy, now is just another pagan city. That means even when you're in Athens, you preach Jesus in the way God has called you to preach him. Some of us are more quiet than others. Some of us are real loud. 
but we live to preach Jesus. Like Paul, we got to say, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And so now the last few verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul prays for the Thessalonian church. And by the way, you know, you might say, well, I'm, I'm really glad I'm not a pastor. You might be saying that and saying, I'm glad I don't have a flock. I'm glad I don't have a mission field because then I'd have to be all concerned about these people and praying for these people and this and that and blah, blah, blah. Hey, you know, maybe you're not a quote-unquote pastor, a shepherd of an official flock, but the fact of the matter is every one of us has a mission field. I don't, I don't care if you're 100 years old and you can't even talk anymore and you're bedridden. You need to be praying for those who are in your mission field. How many, I, you know, I don't know, but how many people on this planet got saved and an instrumental thing was a grandmother or a mother praying for them throughout their life? Okay? So, um, so we don't take breaks from being Christians, but we got to, we got to, as you care for your physical children, you got to care for your spiritual children. And I'm not, I'm not talking down on you. I'm talking down on all of us, myself included. But I, I'll tell you, we've probably been very neglectful spiritual parents, most of us. Some of us, no. Some of us are just, we stay on top of it. Sometimes it might be a, it might be a Marine Corps buddy guy, maybe once every uh, two years or something. Um, but we got to take more care and be more intentional shepherding the flock God's given us. We all have a mission field. Who are those friends, those relatives, those neighbors, those coworkers or classmates that look to us for spiritual advice? That's your mission field. Okay? And don't and don't say, "Well, I Joe Schmo's not in my mission field cuz um, John McCarthy's disciple in him. Well, he could probably use, John could probably use a little bit of help. When John's not around, last I heard, John's, John's not omnipresent, okay? So don't worry about it if, if you got nine people, you say, oh, wow, I got nine people in my mission field, and then you find out, oh, Bill Bickle's got three of them. Oh, man, now I'm down to six. No, don't worry about that. I mean, Paul, here the apostle Paul, these were his spiritual children, and he's delegating that to Timothy, a young man, to establish the church there. And so now Paul prays for the Thessalonian church. Most of this letter, just seems like he just prays for them over and over again. And uh, uh, But verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. See, the, the, the Christian church hadn't fully developed and fully spelled out and articulated the doctrine of the Trinity, but it was a no-brainer for Paul that there's only one God, and God the Father is God, and the Lord Jesus is God, and then at times he would also throw in a benediction with the Holy Spirit. So Paul knew the doctrine of the Trinity. He didn't give it a name. But he knew there's only one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. 
and they're three distinct persons. Well, that is the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? And so he understood that God the Father and the Lord Jesus are two distinct persons, yet there is only one God. And, and he said, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Paul prays that God the Father and the Lord Jesus would direct their way to the Thessalonians. He wanted to see them again. You know, and uh, I'm telling you, when me, we don't, I don't speak out of state as much as I used to, but um, when we miss church here on a Sunday, we miss our people. We miss everybody. Kathy misses everybody big time. And... Um, um, but we're family. And spiritual family is supposed to be even closer than physical family. Now, praise God, some of us have physical family that are also spiritual family, okay? Sometimes we spend a lot more time with our physical family than our spiritual family, not because we think physical family is more important, but because our physical family needs our help a lot more than our spiritual brothers and sisters. And I'm sure, you know, Everybody's got an uncle or a sister or a brother or somebody that's coming to mind at this point. Paul loved them. And he wanted to see them again. Let me tell you, if you're, God's all called us to ministry, but if you don't love those you minister to, you're, really, you're not really ministering to them. Okay? There's some churches out even in Kitsap County, but they're all over the country. Um, the people are just numbers. Just some money to put in a collection plate. But it's all about the numbers, all about the numbers. No, it's got to be all about the people. God the Son didn't become a man because he liked numbers. God the Son became a man because he loved people. He came to a lost, dying world to provide a salvation that we could not earn. Only he could earn that salvation for us by dying on the cross for our sins. Let me tell you, you'll never be like Jesus if you don't love people. But when the people are dependent upon you for spiritual leadership, you got to love them even more, okay? And, um, and so Paul prays that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, would help them to, to uh, help Paul and his team to see the Thessalonian church again. By the way, calling Jesus the Lord, that means it's kurios in the Greek, but that's the, the most common way for the, to translate the word uh, Yahweh of the Old Testament. So this is the, Jesus is the, the God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush, the God of Israel. He is Yahweh and he is Christ. He is the Messiah, the ultimate Jewish king who will someday return to rescue Israel. Then in verse 12, Paul prays that the Lord empower the Thessalonians to increase in love. Paul says this, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. And uh, you, you want to you teach the people you're discipling to love others? Well, start by setting the example, 
Okay? Start by loving them. Uh, but he prays that the Lord would empower them to love one another with, with God's love. He prays that they would love one another just as Paul and his team love them. Do we love one another? Okay? Now, I'm, I'm into apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith, and that's why I, I speak around the country at times, not as much as I used to. But look at, uh, look at John 13, 34 and 35. This is what Francis Schaeffer, one of the greatest apologists, one of the greatest defenders of the faith, of the 20th century. This is what Francis Schaeffer called the ultimate apologetic, the ultimate defense of the Christian faith. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By the way, why is this a new commandment? Wasn't this command around for a long time? No, it wasn't. The old commandment was love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus, the new commandment he gives us um, is to love one another just as Jesus loved us. So we're actually supposed to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord more than we love ourselves. Okay. So much of our culture is based upon trying to help Americans love themselves more, okay? And we're, we're misdiagnosing the problem. When Jesus said, love God everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself, he's not commanding us to love ourselves. That would be three commands then. These are only two commands. So when he's saying that you need to love your neighbor as yourself, what Jesus is assuming is you already do love yourself. I mean, that's what got us in the, the, pro, the jam that we got in called the fall of mankind. Um, we loved ourselves more than we loved God. Okay? So we're experts at loving ourselves. Now we need some advice. Well, how do we love others? And that's where Jesus said, do to others what you would have them do to you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Um. But Jesus said the new command, we need to love one another just as Jesus has loved us, okay? Do any of us do this? No. So that means we need to, we need to work hard at love. What would Paul say to us? If Paul came and said, you know what? The Trinity Bible Fellowship is a very loving church. He would still pray that the Lord would empower us to increase in love. We're never going to reach a point where it's like, okay, we love one another exactly the amount God wants us to love one another. Now we can just kind of kick back, okay? We've arrived. No, so do we love one another? Then he says in verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say by this all will know that you're my disciples by your tremendous wisdom. Wisdom's important. Or your tremendous defense of the faith. Well, that's important. Or your charisma. That's not really important. But uh, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, one of the reasons why people are not in our churches on Sunday morning 
It's because they can just come here and feel unloved and go home. Another reason is uh, a lot of them, why should they come to our churches on Sunday morning when they really do feel loved, at least by the bartender, because they're paying his salary, they're paying his mortgage on Friday and Saturday nights. You can go to bars and feel loved, you know? And I'm telling you, if we don't want to love each other, we want to get in our own little Christian brawls, we're going to lose that battle too. Because if, even if guys want to go and see a brawl, they'll, they'll catch a better brawl in a bar on Friday, Saturday night than they're going to catch in a church, okay? So let's just be the church. Let's not be the world. But let's get in the business of loving one another, okay? And uh, you might say, well, Pastor Phil, um, you don't you don't understand how much this guy or gal gets on my nerves. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you think... You think it was just like real comfortable for God to be around you before you got saved? Okay. Sometimes I wonder if it's even comfortable for God to be around me after I'm saved. Okay. So just keep in mind, um, my righteousness and my own strength is still closer to the righteousness of Adolf Hitler than it is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because his righteousness is an infinite righteousness. So don't tell me that I can't love that brother. And by the way, some brothers and sisters, you might have to love them from a, at a distance. Because every time you're around, they just drag you down or cause some kind of trouble or something. So I, I, I understand that, okay? But let's get in the business of, uh, of loving one another. When the world comes here on a Sunday morning and they see how much we love each other, then they'll know that we're true disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, okay? But um, if they come here and they don't see us loving one another, if they don't see us reaching out to them in love, why should they come back? You know, I mean, you could find community and fellowship at a, at a football game or a baseball game. Uh, but if we're going to love each other with the love of the Lord, that's something that even the world cannot replicate. And uh, so Paul prays that they would, the Lord would empower them to increase in love. And in verse 13, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, so that he may establish your hearts blameless. I mean, that'd be a tough passage to preach on if he said that he may establish your outward, obey, uh, outward behavior blameless. That's tough enough as it is. But, I mean, even the Pharisees who weren't saved could do that. Paul said before he got saved, he was blameless as to the law. But, he said, but Paul's saying, no, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. But he wants our hearts to be blameless, our hearts. He wants us to be inwardly pure. So Paul prays that we would be blameless in holiness, that God would purify our hearts. So we would be blameless in holiness, blameless before God the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. It's actually very encouraging to me that Paul's implying uh, 
It's a goal we need to move towards, but it's never going to be fully attained until Jesus returns and changes us in a twinkling of an eye and we see Jesus face to face. And then we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, the first few verses talk about that. But Paul prays that we would be blameless in holiness in our hearts. Okay? You are not a godly man or a godly woman if you are still battling uh, sin in your outward behavior. Okay? So don't, you know, you shouldn't be sitting down in a jail cell today thinking, man, I am really, I'm blameless. I'm really a, a godly person because, uh, yeah, I'm in jail right now, but there was 30, 30 days this month, and uh, I only had one bad day when I beat up that guy that was looking at me the wrong way, and so I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm 29 out of 30. Okay, if you're still battling sin in the outward behavior, okay, you're blowing up at your spouse, yelling at her at the drop of a hat, okay, and you say, well, okay, I'm, at least I'm battling that. I'm trying to stop. I'm asking the Lord for power, and I'm praying about it. Um, look, if you're battling sin in your behavior, don't tell people you're a holy man or a holy woman. If you're battling it in your speech and your attitude, don't tell people you're a holy man. Now, since none of us are perfect, where does a, a godly man and a godly woman, where do, we, where do we battle sin? We battle sin in the realm of the mind. We got to ba battle it in the realm of the heart. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that if Billy Graham were still alive and if I spied on him for an entire week, 24-7, and I told him at the end of the week, man, you're a holy man. You, I watched you the whole week. You didn't even sin once. You know what Billy Graham would have said? He would have told me, I'm glad you don't, uh, you don't read minds. Okay? So battle sin in the realm of the mind before it comes out in your speech, in your attitude, and in your behavior. Okay? And uh, you get bad thoughts pop in my head all the time. You know, it's like, oh, you know, smack this guy. And then it's just... But right away, the Lord, you know, the Lord will let you know you, you're in God's word. And you'll say, you know, Lord, forgive me for that thought. And um, I don't know. Sometimes the thought can be, you know, so bad. It's like, well, I would never come up with a thought like that. Well, then maybe it's coming from the other side. And so you might have to rebuke the thought because it came from the uh, demonic side. But it, this, is not, this is not a game that we're playing, okay? If we don't fight sin, the battle with sin in the realm of the mind, it's going to trickle on out to the attitude, okay, to the speech, and then eventually to the, to the realm of behavior, okay? And, um, and um, you know, the temptation is always there for us to just kind of nitpick, like we got the gift of judging, you know, and, um, and nitpick what everybody else is doing. Let me tell you, you could dedicate the rest of your life to examining yourself. That'll keep you busy, okay? So if your brother or sister in the Lord is a little grouchy today, just, just love on them, forgive them, and get right back to working on yourself. Now, there are, in a church setting, obviously, 
There are behaviors that could spread like cancer if they're not corrected. Um, but really, we gotta we gotta deal with ourselves first. When we when we read the Bible, you know how many times uh, guys having a rough marriage, and then he reads uh, Ephesians five. He says, "Wow, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord." That's why my marriage is messed up. My wife's not submitting to me. And then the guy will go off on a tangent. won't even look at the next verse. Husbands, love your wives. Okay? And um, your, your wife probably knows the passage as well as you do. There's no sense preaching at her. Just pray for her. But whenever I get a guy who says, well, my wife won't submit to me, what am I supposed to do? I said, what does the Bible tell you to do? Well, I don't know what. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Yeah, but she's not submitting to me. Yeah, when's the last time the church submitted to Christ? And he still loves us. So always take that mindset. Don't, don't have a, you need true, genuine humility, not some kind of false humility. When you read the Bible and it starts smashing sin, remind yourself it's talking to you first. This is why James could call the word of God or the law of God a mirror. The Bible doesn't just tell us how all about God. It tells us all about ourselves. I learned more about me from studying the Bible than I did from doing my own self-assessments. I mean, before I was a believer, I was like, man, you're doing good. You know, foul mouth, jerk, thief, liar. Man, you're doing good, you know? And um, uh, no, I learned more about who I really am, not just who the triune God is, but I learned more about who I am studying the Bible, okay? And, uh, but, uh, but whatever the case, uh, our, our goal needs to be holiness. I was so glad that in uh, one of the songs, the holiness was a big, big theme running throughout the song. And uh, I just want to let, let you know, too, because as we read through this passage, we, we think we're running across different words sometimes, but the word we translate holiness is uh, hagiosune, hagiosune, from the, the word hagias, okay? The word saints is hagion, from the word hagias. Uh, the word sanctification is hagiosmus, okay? So it's all, if you're a believer, you're, you're called a saint, and that means that we're, sanctified. We're set apart. We're the set apart ones. So holiness, we shift from the word sanctification to holiness in our English translations, and they're still stuck in the same word. We do the same with righteousness and justice. Same word in the Greek. Same same word foundation, word root, okay? And so sometimes we think, oh, okay, now Paul's saying, we got, you got to not only be sanctified, you got to be holy. Well, we're really saying the same thing, okay? In the Greek, it's all the same root word. So as the saints, we're supposed to be the set-apart ones. Do we look like we're set-apart? Do we look like we're set-apart from the world? Do we look like we're set-apart from sin? Do we look like we're set-apart for God's holy purposes? Do we look like we're set apart for love. 
okay? Um, people, people ought to say, you know, even if they disagree with us, even if they're anti-Christian, they ought to, have, ought to say, you know, I have to admit, though, that guy does love me. You know, brought me great joy when Jeffrey J. Louder entered into this. I was just reading a, a long thread on an atheist website, and they were slamming me, a few guys that had debated me and calling me all kinds of names. And I was like, huh, this, you know, and uh, see how it's going there. Then you just end, you know, you, you eventually you pop in and say, hey, how you doing? This is Phil. What, you know, and uh, even atheists feel guilt at that, and, and, uh, and they they deny that guilt is real because guilt is the knowledge of sin. But um, but it was neat to see another atheist I debated, Jeffrey J. Louder, saying, "No, no, I I not only debated Phil twice, but I know him. He he genuinely loves us. He genuinely wants us to see us in heaven someday." And um, um, but we got to be people of love. We're set, we're set apart for this. Okay? You trusted in Jesus for salvation. You go from justification when you're declared righteous by God the moment you first believe. Then you enter this, this process called sanctification where God progressively sets you apart more and more for his holy purposes until eventually you reach the stage of final sanctification, um, which is glorification. And that will happen when Jesus returns. Because he doesn't want to just totally set apart our souls. He wants to set apart our bodies as well, okay, for his holy purposes. And that'll occur at the resurrection. And so Paul prays that the Thessalonians and all believers would be blameless in holiness, God wants to purify our hearts and make us blameless in holiness, blameless before God the Father. So this, this is not just blameless before others. So we really look good in the eyes of man. That's not our goal, okay? We ought to live for the applause of one. We ought to live to please the triune God, not man. Now, if I could please other people while I'm pleasing God, good. That just means those people probably love the Lord. But that's not my goal, okay? When I became a Christian and then felt called to the ministry, I didn't do it to become popular. I did it to please my king. And we need to live to please our king. We want to be blameless in holiness before God the Father. And now we're going to be working towards that, moving towards that through the power of God. And how do we do it? This is why Paul said increase in love. We obey God's laws from the heart by love and faith. That's why he put so much emphasis that the Thessalonians had faith and love, faith and love, faith and love. Do we then nullify the, this law by faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law by faith. Romans 3.31. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law, Romans 13, 10. Okay? And so we need to live lives of faith and love, and that day will come, and we'll be blameless 
before God the Father from the inside will be blameless before God the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. It's that, it's that Matthew 25, 41. We all want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when King Jesus returns. Look at Philippians 3, verse 14. Philippians 3, in verse 14. In fact, I'm going to, man, it's a bigger passage, but I'm, Paul talks about striving to be all that God called him to be and leaving behind his past accomplishments and pressing forward. But I'm going to, I'm going to start at verse 9. Philippians 3, verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness through faith, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You want to know the power of Jesus' resurrection? Then you allow God to change you from within. Okay? And um, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, that's something I wish it was optional. Okay? I'm glad Jesus suffered and died for me, but, man, I've, I'm going to need to grow in my faith and my love to be willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel. Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. His Paul's goal is to be completely sanctified and glorified and have his resurrection body. Verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, so he acknowledges that he's not perfect yet. That won't happen until Jesus comes back. But I press on, and that's what we got to do. We got to press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So some of those things that we got to forget are the failures and the sins of our past. Okay? But even the great accomplishments of our past. You know, I preached a message decades ago at this church that Yesterday's victories are today's mediocrities, okay? We got to be pressing on and moving forward. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are we pressing on to be blameless in holiness? Because when Jesus comes back, that's what we're going to want, okay? And Jesus will change us in a twinkling of an eye. So it's a battle. I mean, we, we, we talk about battle for, the, the battle for a culture or battle for souls of mankind, but there's also a battle going on for your, your heart. And then the crazy thing, too, is the Bible does not say if you're a believer, you're a slave to sin and a slave to righteousness. That's not biblical. Romans 6, 17 and 18, we used to be slaves to sin. 
Now that we came to Christ, we're slaves to righteousness and we're no longer slaves to sin. So our problem is not, when we sin, our problem is not that we're slaves to sin. Our problem is we're allowing the old, the old you, the old man who is dead, to come back into the picture. We're imitating slaves to sin, but we're not really slaves to sin anymore. Okay? You know, it's hard for me to believe that the old Phil Fernandez is dead. He was nailed to the cross with Jesus. I'm a new creation in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. Why don't we act that way? You know why we don't act that way? We're not fighting sin in the realm of the mind. Okay? And sometimes we could be doing so good. Satan is so clever. We'll be doing so good and so good and standing up for justice and righteousness. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, wait a minute. I hate all the political leaders that disagree with me. God, you know, God didn't call us to just, you know, love everybody who agrees with you. No. And so we're supposed to love them. Our real enemies, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We saw that uh, last week. And, um, and so at Jesus' return, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints, all his holy ones, all his set-apart ones, we're going to want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so we got to press on right now. we got to press on to be all that God called us to be. So i got a few remarks in concluding this chapter. One of them, a few questions, really. Are we persevering in faith and love? Earlier in this chapter, Paul talked about uh, the Thessalonians, they had faith, hope, and love, the three that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Don't, don't walk around and, and, and act like there's no hope. You know, I'll have some people will be telling me, how come you're not supposed to act like there's hope? Don't you know the whole country's going down the tubes and we're losing our freedom and, and uh, they're going to be coming after Christians? Yeah, but if we're Christians, we're still supposed to have hope because our citizenship is in heaven, okay? And we'll be good American citizens. And it, it's getting tougher to be good American citizens because good American citizens are the ones getting in trouble now, okay? Um, you could peacefully protest for the cause of freedom and you're more likely to get locked up than if you beat somebody within one inch of their life in, in some city. Things are everything. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isaiah five twenty. Um, but uh, but we got to persevere in faith and love, and we got to have that hope that Paul mentioned earlier in this. Do we have faith? Are we trusting in the Lord Jesus and His Word for daily living? Are we loving God with everything we got, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves? And if they're believers. Loving fellow believers as Christ loved us? Am I, am I willing to lay down my life for you? I hope so, because God's word commands me to. It's a John 13, 34 and 35 thing. Are you willing to lay down your life for people in the, I was going to say pews, but these are chairs. Um, that's the new command. Now that we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, are we willing 
to suffer persecution for Christ? We're going to find out. There's going to be some churches of 5,000 people that once Christianity gets outlawed, you might end up having a church of, it's not. It's going to be difficult to monitor because the church is going to have to go underground, but you're going to have churches of 5,000 people that you might end up having a church really of only 50 real believers. Once the persecution came, the others dispersed. Okay? And um, um, there's going to be a separation of the wheat and the tares in the very near future as persecution comes down. Are we willing to suffer persecution for Christ? Jesus said, if you find the world hates you, know it has hated me before it hated you. Do we love one another? We mentioned that, the John 13 passage, that we're supposed to love one another just as Christ has loved, loved us. Do we seek to be blameless in holiness at Jesus' return? If we do, we better be pressing on now. Okay, and it's, it's you know, I can remember, see you remember when I, when I first got saved back in 1981, you know, I, I don't think they thought I was a bad guy. I think they thought I was uh, maybe a little slow in my thinking because, you know, they would say, um, you know, people, they called me Ferno back then, but they'd say, hey, how you doing, Ferno? And I'd be like, doing pretty good. And it's like, everybody's like, what's the pause? on this guy. He can't even say how he's doing. But what I had to do because of the Marine Corps and then because of growing up in New Jersey, uh, I had to practice. I was like, man, I don't want to offend these nice Christian people. And so I had to practice a couple times my response and delete all the curse words. And then when I felt comfortable enough, I'd give the response. But I mean, you know, uh, Marine Barracks Banger, I was still a jerk big time. Uh, you know, my two years in the core, but I mean, it's just like the, uh, you know, if you weren't like a mass murderer, the Marines are like convicts, you know, their level of what a righteous dude is, is a lot lower than everybody else's. And so the Lord even enabled me to still share uh, the gospel and to disciple guys, even though I had a foul mouth and I was a jerk. And, um, um, so be, be careful. Don't, don't come down too hard on a guy or a gal that got saved last week. Okay. The unfortunate thing is very common in the American church to have someone who's been saved for 30 years. And you can't even, people who knew them before they got saved can't even tell the difference before Christ and after Christ. Um, so, you know, none of us are perfect. So, I'm not saying as your pastor, hey, God's word says you got to be perfect today, but God's word says you ought to be closer to perfect today than you were yesterday, okay? And so we press on. And if, you, if you're pressing on, great, but don't ever think, okay, I've arrived, okay? We already got a target on our backs. Satan wants to sift us like wheat. It was not just a Peter thing. Satan would love to bring us down too. He'd love to sift us as wheat. You already got a target on your back. Why would you make that target bigger by getting arrogant? Okay? Remember, the Lord looks upon those who are broken and contrite in spirit and who tremble at his word. We need that humility. And, um, and, uh, and then are we really separated from the world and set apart for Jesus? 
That's what sanctification is, set apart from the world, set apart from sin, set apart for Jesus. Um, and we'll close with this passage, 2 Corinthians 6. I'm probably not going to answer a whole lot of questions by bringing this up. Probably going to raise more questions, but that's the, the Christian walk all about. We never get all the answers, at least in our mind, that's why our minds need to be renewed, but we get more and more answers, but that raises more and more questions, so we got to keep going back to God's word and prayer. And so how, how do we minister to the world and find common ground with the world while still coming out of the world and being separate from the world? And I'm not telling you right now that I got the answer. I'm just telling you right now that we all need to be asking that question because an awful lot of us work with non-believers or go to school with non-believers or have family members who are non-believers. Uh, but listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is what separation is all about. This is what it means to be a saint, Okay. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, when you, the yoke was the thing they put around the necks of two oxen or two donkeys to plow the field. But if you unequally yoked an ox with a donkey, they have a different length of their stride. And instead of plowing the land, you go round and round in circles. Okay? So we've got to make sure that we don't get unequally yoked with non-believers. Suppose you want to start a business. I would not recommend saying, well, I'm going to go to my godless, alcoholic, blaspheming friend because he wants to start the same kind of business. Maybe we can work together. And then you wonder why you're going to prison for embezzlement. Okay. Um, uh, but it really comes down, when it comes down to dating and getting married, if Jesus is number one in your life, you're going to want a spouse that Jesus is number one in their life as well. Um, you know, I've, I, my wife and I have counseled a lot of guys and a lot of gals who, when they want to go to prayer meetings, their spouse wants to go to the bars and drink and whatever. They're unequally yoked. And by the way, once you say I do, you're, if you're unequally yoked, you're stuck with it unless they up and leave you. So make that decision ahead of time. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship, that's the key word, koinonia, fellowship. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Okay, so the key there is fellowship. We do not fellowship with the world, though we still got to be in the world, but we're not of it, but we need to be in the world and minister to them. Uh, and so what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, with Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, 
says the Lord Almighty. So how are we going to come out from among them and be God's people, yet still share our faith with others and love the unsaved, try to lead them to Christ, okay? Um, John, if you had given up on your work, buddy, years ago, he might not be saved right now, okay? And, um, you know, I hope it doesn't embarrass you, but this guy is so on fire for the Lord that he wants to go to more prayer meetings, more Bible studies, more church, and this and that. And and he tried to explain it to John. He didn't know any better way to explain it. He said, he told me, he said, John, I just want to be more like you. No, in fact, he said, I want to be just like you. Okay. The world will know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another. How many of our non-believing friends would say that about, you know, I want to be, I want to have what you have. Something's missing in my life. I want to be just like you. And then we can bring them to Jesus. Okay. Um, we got to press on, but there's a thin line. You know, we want to find common ground with the world, but don't emphasize, overemphasize that to where you become the world. But there's a sense where we really don't have fellowship with the world. When you're with non-believers, that's called witnessing. You're evangelizing. You're sharing the gospel in word and deed with them. And when you're with believers, we're supposed to be fellowshipping, sharing what we have in common. Okay? I mean, you can fellowship on just about anything. There's two guys in here besides me. We could fellowship on Raider football. Okay? Everybody else would say, no, we don't have that kind of fellowship with them. We don't share that in common. We don't even like the Raiders. And, um, but if you know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, and how can we not fellowship with one another? And how can we not see that we can't have that kind of fellowship with the world? Okay? Um, we need to preach Jesus even when it's not popular. We need to share uh, the gospel with, with the non-believers, but we don't fellowship with them. We need to come out and be separate. That's why we're called saints. That's why we're in the process of sanctification. And we need to abound in love and love one another and, um, and be blameless in holiness in the heart. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you so much, Lord, for this uh, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. I wasn't really even looking forward to preaching it, but I could see the, the love of a pastor for his flock and the love that you would give to the Apostle Paul. He went from killing Christians to when he met your son, the Lord Jesus, on the road to Damascus. He gave him an undying love, not just for you, but an undying love even for the Gentiles. May you give us an undying love for you, Lord, but an undying love for one another and even an undying love for those in the world. But may we only fellowship in the light and recognize we have no fellowship with, with darkness. Show us when to reach out to the lost 
but also show us when it is time for us to be set apart. May we do all things uh, for your glory. Change us, Lord. Change us from within. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, what are the instructions for the potluck? I'm getting hungry. Okay, so the few people who are good at work, go down and help. And then everybody else like me, stay here. Don't get in.